I'm not really deeply well read in some of the church fathers and, and the mystics, but I have read a few. And there was this passage uh, um, uh, that kept nagging at me today from Meister Eckhart. Those of you, some of you may be familiar. He was a 13th century um, a German uh, clergyman. He was a priest. And um interesting thing I was reading, when I read this book about Meister Eckhart a couple of years ago, I was in, when, when uh, John and Boyd and I went to San Francisco, we always stay uh, in a place on Fulton Avenue in San Francisco, which is very near uh, Golden Gate Park and Haight-Ashbury and all that whole scene. And uh, I went to, uh, well, we all went, we all went traipsing down um, Ashbury Street, Haight Street, and um, enjoying the sights and the sounds and the smells. And um, we went into a, a bookstore. And, you know, bookstores in that area are quite esoteric. And, um, um, but I found this treasure of a book uh, uh, by Meister Eckhart. And uh, uh, I'd never read him other than little snippets before, so I got that book, and I, I really enjoyed it. And um, interesting, the, the, I don't remember the man who, who wrote the introduction and compiled it and all that, the name of the fellow, but he was talking about the, the, that time period of uh, 1300s, 1400s in Northern Europe, and how um, people in those days... Uh, didn't have any control over what government they had. Um, and so, since they couldn't sit around and talk about politics all the time, guess what their main topic of conversation was? Theology. <laughs> so that was what the common man discussed in the streets back in those days, at least in that area of Europe, was they talked about the things of God, what the terminate church had been that week, and they talked about in their communities and in their, you know, places to eat and things like that. And you, you couldn't talk about the government. You'd get in trouble for doing that. So, um, or it, it was pointless to talk about the government. Uh, nothing you could do about it. If you got a good king or a good prince, well and good. If you didn't, well, you just bared, bore with it. Um, but they did talk about theology. And I thought, well, how interesting and how different it is from today. Um, that's one thing I picked up from that book. But this is a quote from that book, and it was nagging me today, and I, and I don't have the book with me, but I thought, I think I have that on my computer. And I went and dug my laptop out and found it. And so I want to read it and then make this sort of the background or the underground river of everything else that I might say uh, after this. Now this is this is the quote from Meister Eckhart. The divine one, one with a capital O, is a negation of negations. Now you have to think with this. What does one mean? It means something to which nothing is added, something that is complete and whole in itself. The soul that in Eckhart's term for the soul is what we would call the spirit lays hold of the Godhead where it is pure, 
where there is nothing beside it, nothing else to consider. In other words, as we would say, God only. This is the purest apprehension of God, is to see God and nothing but God and no other. Then he goes on to say, the one, that is God, is a a negation of negations. Now this is the part that I really liked, that I wanted to share with you. Every creature that is a created thing contains a negation. That is, one denies that it is the other. An angel says, I am this angel and not that angel. A human being says, I am this human being and not that human being. A human being says, I am a human being and not a tree. But God contains the denial of denials. He is the one who denies of every other that it is anything except Himself. Now, did you guys hear that? I'll read that again. An angel denies that it is any other creature, but God contains the denial of denials. He is that one who denies of every other that it is anything except himself. In other words, he looks out and the only thing he sees is himself. When he looks at us, the only thing he sees is himself. It is, a, it is the, the lie came into the universe when a creature said it was other than God. Because the truth is, none of us are other than God. God is the foundation and the manifestation of who we are. He didn't just start being, he's not just, the, he's not, you know, theologically we can analyze all this theologically and we can take it apart and, and, and we could put up some charts and line it all up and things like that. And whoever it was, I think it was Bird or somebody said something about the light bulb uh, today. And the light bulb is, it becomes the light when the electricity shines in or, you know, is active in it. And then we see the light. And it's a union. But in reality, the manifestation or the shell, the container, is also God too. Because it's all a manifestation of light. So, when we say we are creatures and we are created things and we're not God, that is true in a sense. But in the ultimate sense, the the manifestation is as much God as as, as the source is. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense in in, in logical thinking. And I may get in trouble with... If, if this goes out into all the world, I may get lots of emails from very theologically minded people correcting me, which is not unusual. My point is, is that when we talk about these things of God, when we talk about the things in the Scripture, someone was talking today about, asked the question about, uh, about what, when God addressed Jeremiah and said, you know, to this gave this commission to Jeremiah, and he says it very plainly in the scripture to Jeremiah. Then how can we? How? By what means do we arrive at? He's also saying that to us. How can we claim that for ourselves? And Luli said, "Well, it's the scriptures are the story of every man." And as I grow in understanding and in the grace of the Lord, I realize more, how, uh, m- more completely every day how much that is true. The stories 
that are in this book are, this, are stories about me. That, that, that the stories about Jacob and Esau and Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Samuel and David and the prophets and all of these things, they're all about aspects of life that happens to me. It's not, it's, it, yes, it's history. Yes, it has to do with world events. It has to do with all of these things. God covers all the bases that there are. There's nothing that you can look under or behind anything and not see Him active there. From the high world events that are way beyond what any of us are a part of to the, to the minuscule things of what I'm going to buy at the store on my way home tonight. It's all just as much God and He's just as much involved and just as much concerned in, in His godly way about what I have for breakfast as for who, what a country attacks what other country. It's all God working out His purposes. It's all God being perfect God, perfectly manifesting Himself to bring about His perfect will, His perfect restitution, His perfect restoration. And He is not failing in one thing. He's not behind. He's not off schedule. We haven't thrown Him off. We've never taken Him by surprise. As I said the other night to somebody, God never says, Oh, I didn't see that one coming. The reason that's important for us to see is so that we can walk in the rest of it. R-E-S-T, resting of it. So that we can, we can walk feeling and experiencing and knowing the pulls and the, and, and, and the, the, the ups and the downs, the joys and the sorrows, the going off to live in Johnson City, Tennessee and being by yourself and having to get your own words. Hey, I know that. I've been there. You remember the 11 years I was gone? There was a time years ago that I didn't like the way the game was played. I didn't like the fact that we had conflict. God's people shouldn't be in conflict. I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that some people didn't like some other people. And I thought, what well, the heck with this? I don't like the way this game is being played. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. God did that. Now, some people said other things. That's okay. Because every man must give an account for himself, of himself to God. We only have one to, that we answer to. Yes, we are responsible to each other out of love. But ultimately, the only one we are ultimately responsible for, or to, is God Himself. Because He's individual with each of us. Somebody said something about Merton today. Um, what he said was that there are no levels in Christ. There's no level. None of us are any higher or any lower than the other. When you're in Him, you're in the upper level. The topmost level. Norman used to talk about the topmost. The top level. The top level is being in Christ. You can't be any higher. You can't be any further in on the in crowd. You can't be any closer to the living God than sitting on His throne with Him and looking out from the throne seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God in the bosom of our Savior, our precious Lord. 
You can't be any closer than that. Oh, I've got to be closer to God. Well, how close is sitting on His throne with Him? How close is He being one with you? How can you be any closer than being one? One means you're the same as. Oh, but you've got to, you've got to do this. No, you don't. You just open your eyes and say, well, Lord, this is you. This is you in my life. This is you operating this life. I don't, this, this may be, seem a strange way that we're headed right here, Lord. The GPS has headed me off in a totally opposite direction from the way I thought I should go. But because I trust you, or maybe it's dark and I don't even, I'm not even sure that I know where I'm going. I'm not even sure that I've heard the voice of the Lord. I'm just stepping out into darkness. I'm just stepping out into uncertainty. But somehow, some way, God redeems it. Here's an interesting story to tell you. It upsets everybody's theology. And I'm thinking, throw it all in the trash myself. But, um, <laughs> take that, Internet. Um, I was, uh, I was, um, uh, what do you call it? I was despairing of myself one day, a few years ago, a few years ago, over the issue of provision, which comes up now and then. And, uh, oh, am I going to make it? Oh, will we make it this time? Now, you know, you think after, it was like after 40 years in the wilderness, the, the manna always came. The water always came. But still, oh, is it going to happen this time? I know it happened last time, but will it happen this time? And the Spirit spoke to me. Now, I know you've all had these experiences, and, and most people here are considerably older than 30. And so, um, 40, some of us. And... Um, um, But, uh, you know, suddenly a memory comes up in your brain that you hadn't thought of in 30 or 40 years. Never had it entered your mind. And the Lord pulled one of those out on me when I was despairing over the idea of will we be provided for one more time. The Lord said, do you remember when you went to the, pop, the Atlanta Pop Festival in 1970? Yes, Lord, but you weren't there. How would you remember it? <laughs> and actually, I don't really remember it that well. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I do remember. He said, I provided for you there, didn't I? Now, I didn't know him then in my conscious mind. I was not... There was no church on earth that would have granted me membership then if I was truthful about my life. Um, and I was eating every substance that anybody had in hand or smoked anything that passed by my way. And uh, so, you know, according to the natural rules of regular life, uh, um, I wasn't as as my wife's sister says, I wasn't living right. And, um, but 
But somebody, I went there with no money. I hitchhiked from Atlanta down to the place where they were having the festival, which was about 100 miles south of Atlanta in a little place called Byron, Georgia. And uh, they had all the big names there. They had Jimi Hendrix and uh, just a lot, all kinds of people. And um, I, I saw a lot of them. A lot of them I saw, but I, people told me I saw. I don't remember. And I was there for several days. I don't know how I survived. I didn't have any money. I didn't take any money with me. I might have had five bucks, ten bucks. I don't remember. My, my guitar, which was my most precious possession, was stolen. My shoes were stolen. And, and, some, and I don't remember how I got home. And I, and I do remember, and I'll say this, and, I, and I, I, don't, I don't say it with pride, but what else can I say? It was the truth of who I was. I stole somebody else's shoes. So at least one person there went home without shoes. You know, I don't know how many shoes were stolen, you know. I remember a, a, a big giant... A big giant uh, semi truck pulled up, you know, and and uh, uh, it opened the doors, and they had an entire 40 foot semi truck filled with ice cold Coca Cola, which they were selling for the ungodly price of a dollar a can. Well, we lined up the people that had a dollar, and the rest of us bummed sips or something. Somehow ended up with a Coke. But the Lord said, do you remember that? And I said, yes, I do. He said, I took care of you then. Well, yes, you did, Lord. And he said, well, how much more do you think I take care of you now? God is one. You know, who was it that was talking about the eternal last night? Sometime, who said, who was the one that talked about the, it's, it's in time and in eternal, eternity? David, that's right, okay. And it's, you know, there I was, an eternal child of God in the temporal uh, sway of the prince of the power of the air. And the Father had His hand on me. He separated me from my mother's womb. He knew me then. He knew me before I was born. Before I was fashioned, He had created good works for me to walk in from the foundations of the earth. So, the, the temporary diversion I had in the beginning part of my life, which, yes, was sin. won't deny that. can't say that wasn't right. What wasn't sin, of course. Um, I didn't know Him. I didn't give Him the glory. I worshipped the creation rather than the Creator of the creation. I worshipped the shell instead of the contents. People look... People try instead of the substance of things, they they grasp onto the outside and think think they've got it, and that's the way the world is. We we see an appearance and want that appearance, but in spite of the fact that I was not living right, God took care of me, and God oversaw every step I took. Just less than a year before that, 
that summer, that was the summer of 1970, cranked back one year, I was wearing a uniform, had short hair, and was a cadet in the United States Air Force Academy. And I was running 20 miles and, and uh, saying, Sir, yes, sir, no excuse, sir. Stuff like that. Talking about how I wanted to serve my country. And then a year forward, fast forward a year later, and here I am at this Atlanta Pop Festival, eating every piece of, every pill, uh, smoking every joint or whatever that was smoking, whatever it was, and any mask. And, neat, and, and stealing, and I stole a much nicer pair of shoes than I had, had stolen from me. Actually, they were cowboy boots that I ended up with. I've never been, I've never been partial to cowboy boots, but the fruits of, the fruits of theft. Well, that's too long a story, Carol. Uh, Carol wanted to ask what happened to the academy. I decided I didn't want to be there. And, uh, you know, I could have been there. I could, I could be, I could today be retired Air Force officer. I'm, I'm, I could have had my 20 years and already be out. My surface reasons were very youthful, very, you know, what you, how you think when you're 17 or 18. My surface reasons were, I don't want to be in the military. I don't want to go, I don't want to be doing this for 10 years. I, my colonel, now, I didn't have one thought in my head of becoming a hippie. But you had to go out, and when you left the academy, you had to talk to the people there and tell them why you were leaving. And so you had to go see the colonel of, of our particular unit, and his name was Colonel Garner. And he says, well, what do you want to be, a hippie? I said, no, I just want to be able to walk to the drugstore and buy a Coke when I want one. You know, I had simple needs. <laughs> You know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. So, you know, I left there and and but see God, what I'm what I'm, my point I'm trying to get across to you is it's not up to you. God has your life. All this searching around, this is another this dovetails into another issue, finding the will of God. Now, as a Christian, oh how many hours I have uh, groaned and travailed over whether I should take this path or that path. Is this your will, Father, or is this your will, Father? Well, before I was a Christian, I didn't do anything. I just did what I felt like. And I felt like leaving the Air Force Academy in less than a few, in just a, like two or three months after I left the Air Force Academy, I met this girl at this music festival we had at this, at this college that I went to called Berry College. And it had just been Woodstock that year. And so we called our music festival Berry Stock. And I, and I, played, I played some songs, some hippie songs. And this girl played these hippie songs with another fella. And then she came up to me and asked me that night, she said, hey, you want to get together and jam sometime? Well, she's sitting right over there. God takes care of you. You know, we think we've got to do all of these things to figure it out for ourselves and figure out what to do. And I'm telling you, you can relax and let go, and He's got you. 
You can relax and let go and trust your decisions because He's got you. You know, even if you are, are, are carnal and don't really, you know, even if you don't know what we're talking about in our, in our union sense, He's got you. God has you in His hand. I don't know about all the rest of the four spiritual laws. Boyd seems to speak uh, ill of the four spiritual laws. But I like the first one. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I think there was always a thing between Bill Bright and Billy. And so, you know, Boyd can't let that go. But, uh, sorry, boy. I'll let you answer that tomorrow. But... God does love you and He does have a wonderful plan for your life. And believe me, you can let go of trying to figure it out for yourself and trying to provide for yourself and trying to, to, to uh, make... It as if, it's as if... Live your life as if you figuring out all these things is going to make everything come true for you and make everything work out for you. I'm telling you, it already is going to come true for you. It already is true for you. It already is working out for you because the, the Creator of the universe lives in you and walks and talks and lives and thinks and is as you in this world. Now, our, our um, theme this weekend, which we really haven't talked about, but this is always the Spirit's way. Uh, it doesn't... We, Luli and Harriet labor and labor over the letter. What's the letter going to say? We always know it's conference time because they're working on the letter. That's the, that's the first thing that indicates, oh, conference is coming around. They're working on the letter. And then they get the letter. The letter always makes a few people mad, and then it makes some people happy. The letter always has its own little world and controversy of itself. What? Well, that's true, isn't it? Um, we and, and all of us who you know are going to speak, we know. Okay, well, the issue is intercession. So yes, intercession. And now let's talk about water baptism, my favorite subject. <laughs> what we do is we. This it's all the spirit. The spirit engineers all this. He wants us thinking about this intercession thing. That's why. That's why the letter goes out. And it stimulates something in it. It stimulates something in every person that reads it and pays attention to it. And we, put, we come here expecting, expecting of that. Well, guess what? This whole intercession deal, God takes care of that in us too. The, 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 the whole, this whole issue of intercession, it, it, it's not really like you get a uniform and a badge that says, okay, now you've become a part of the royal priesthood and you've become an intercessor. As, as uh, Luli and Harriet said earlier today, when, when Norman was first coming around and first telling us about the fatherhood level and we were just babes in all this, and they were saying they were babes, he's saying, oh, you're fathers now. You're fathers. Because you t you, what you take takes you over. Now, that's not... A cliche. That's a reality. If you don't believe it, go eat a big old bowl of pinto beans. What you take takes you. 
and it affects others. Intercession is God using you to accomplish His will in the earth in other people. And He uses all of us in little and big ways. It's just an absolute fact. What, you have become involved in the person who dies for others. Now, we don't know that in the beginning because in the beginning, we're just looking for a life raft. And so we climb onto this boat you know, the life raft is thrown out. The life raft is Jesus. And He says, climb on me. I'll get you out of this. You're drowning, but I'm going to pull you out. So, we, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to get out of this. I'm sinking deep. And I'm about to go under for the last time. But here you are. You've reached your hand out. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then, you know, if we're lucky, He puts us in one of those churches where it's they're talking about meeting our needs all the time. So every time we go to church, we get our needs met. And when you find when you get your needs met every time, you got other needs next Sunday. And so you get those met, and you keep getting your needs met, and your needs met, and your needs met. Um, and then finally you go, well, maybe there's something more than just getting my needs met all the time. Because after a while, to be truthful, the Lord gets tired of meeting your needs, and He quits doing it. Because you've had enough need meeting. Now it's time to move on. Because it's not about you getting your needs met. It's not about you anymore. So in our babyhood, just like in human babies, it's about me. Me, 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 me. Give me food. Give, entertain me. Fix me. Heal me. Make me spiritual. Make me grow. Give me money. Give me a lot of money. I'd like a new car. <laughs> but after a while, we realize that we've gotten into much more than that. We've gotten into something that's a lot larger than what we originally thought it was. Just me getting onto the lifeboat and me getting my daily bread and my needs met every day and my comfort when I don't feel good and, and that sort of thing. There's more to it than that. Oh, there's a world out there. Jesus died for the whole world. It says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved the world. I, I, I emphasize that because a lot of us for the first portion of our Christian experiences, we retreat from the world. And it's right that we do. God does that. God has it. He has you in His hand. And He takes you apart. He takes you aside. Just like they, the, John the Baptist didn't go to the people. They went out to Him. He was in the wilderness preaching and they went out there. There's a time of going apart where you go seek it. You go there. You go out there and you're apart and alone with God. And you get your needs met and you get your understanding. But then one day says, well, guess what? Jesus says, I'm going to send you out. And now you're going to be doing what I do. What's that, Lord? Oh, I want to heal. 
I want to perform miracles. I want to turn water into wine. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, what are you talking about? No, you're going to die for others. Oh, uh, what do you mean die for others? You're going to take their pains and their sorrows. You're going to be in them with them. You're going to feel them. You're going to feel like they're your, your pains and your sorrows. You're going to feel what everybody else feels. Because that's what I feel. He was, he was a man who felt all the things that we feel. And that was the way it says in Hebrews that He was able to save us to the uttermost. Because He, was, he came where we were. Someone said that earlier today. Love goes out to where the need is. It doesn't, it doesn't demand that the, the need come to it. It goes out to where the need is. And it becomes... Uh, I think it was Leola was talking earlier about how we... It, there are some people we can't talk to about these things, we, but we love them where they are. We love people where they are. And so you find in, your, in, in the course of your natural life, God is doing intercession by you. Some of it is intentional where you realize what's going on. Oh, I have this thing that I must accomplish. I, God has given me a particular commission and when He does that, you do know it. He causes you to know it. One of the greatest struggles I had years and years and years ago uh, was over this issue of of knowing the voice of the Lord. How do I know the voice of the Lord? He says my sheep will know my voice, but there's all these voices. You know, John always likes me to go, I never knew where it was me, the devil, or God. <laughs> I can't do that anymore, John. I used to do it spontaneously. Now you've got me acting. He causes, and, and what I came to realize is that what He wants me to know, He causes me to know. The onus of responsibility has been moved off of my shoulders onto His. I have no innate ability to understand and hear the voice of God. There's nothing in me that is smart enough, wise enough, that knows which way to discern how to do it, how to act, how to think, how to be. But He knows all of that. And I, when, once, I, once I realized the truth of what Jesus said, Whosoever He be of you that forsaketh not all that He has. Oh, you want me to give you my car, my guitar, my money? No, I want you. I want the whole of you so that you, almost to yourself, you, 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 you come to a place where it is almost as if you do not exist. And there's only God. Which brings me to that second Meister Eckhart quote. And this is Thomas Merton quoted this in a letter. Thomas Merton quoted this from Meister Eckhart. He said, A man must become so poor in himself that he has no place left for God. Now, on the surface of that, that sounds like shutting God out. What it, what it really is is that it, you in yourself, we in ourselves... We become so impoverished that there's nothing left of us but God. Now, we don't stay there because as any of you who've been around uh, 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 us know that we have a thing that we call you come back. Because we do go off in the beginning of this when we see, oh, it's no longer I, it's He. And for a time, it's like I don't exist. It's not me, it's God. It's not me, it's God. I don't exist, only God does. And that's theologically unsound, but experientially true. 
But, the, but what happens is, is the Spirit begins to bring you back. And the Spirit begins to bring you back where you and He are one person. So that that I that you said you no longer existed no longer exists because that, as we've someone has we've said several times this weekend, is this false idea of ourselves as if separate and independent from God. I'm a separate me that I've got to somehow tame or fix or improve or whatever uh, in order to make it like unto God. But nothing can be like God. Only God is God. So nothing can be like God. Any creature that says, I will be like God, has left God. Because only God can be God. But when we realize our own nothingness, Paul says, when a man thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So when we realize finally to the uttermost, oh, I'm nothing, that's the, uh, that's the forsaking all that you have. That's the that that is the place where you where you where you where you have fulfilled that scripture. Or he has fulfilled it in you. Whosoever he be that forsaketh not all that he hath, because all that we have ultimately is ourselves. All our possessions and our property and our money and our cars and our family, all that stuff that we that begins with my this and fill in the blank. None of that is the essential us. Those are just extensions of the essential us. The essential me is me. This whatever this is, that's me. And this is what has to have this reorientation. I talked last night about when Norman said to me, you have the teacher in you. And I said that that, reorient, that, that statement reoriented my entire life. And where it, what it, the, reor, the reorientation was from outer to inner. From looking for God out there to finding Him in here. And that was only the beginning trail, the beginning of that trail. Because I first had to locate Him. Oh, He's in here. He's not low there. He's not low there. He's low in here. But then, He still had to be that gap as someone else talked about this weekend. That gap had to close. It wasn't just Christ in me because that still leaves Him somewhere in here and me somewhere in here and ne'er the twain shall meet. It still leaves me responsible to try to figure out what this Christ that's in me is saying and doing and then trying to figure out how to do that. So I'm still very much in the picture. So this Christ and me have to become one. And when you find your nothingness, then you find He and you are one. And then He starts... He starts taking you into these places where you didn't think you should go. One of the first times that happened to me was way back in the 70s. And I was in this ministry out in California. And we were... Uh, uh, this girl that was in the ministry named Netta, Italian girl, real pretty girl. And she had this tremendous... Is it raining? Oh, sorry. Oh, I thought you were really getting interested. <laughs> <laughs> but this this girl this girl that um, that she had, she was going she was she had this great ministry um, in uh, in in Seaside California and uh, she wanted me to go to this she was invited to a birthday party to this guy for this guy who she had been witnessing to <clears throat> now this was in. The, the black community of Seaside, and it was a real rough area, and white folks didn't usually go there. 
And it was a real rough bar where there were shootings and drug sales and things like that. And so not only are white folks not going in the area, you especially didn't go to that bar. Well, this was where the uh, birthday party was being held. And Netta asked me if I would go along and, you know, be her accompanier, uh, just, you know, to be there with her for whatever. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you, fearing and trembling. So I went to the birthday party. And um, I'm not a teetotaler now, but back there in the Pentecostal church I was. And so I hadn't been in a bar in a while. And so uh, there's people are smoking and drinking and dancing and carousing. And I'm just sitting there, just kind of minding my own business and uh, drinking a Coke or something. And a guy comes up and sits down at the table with me. His name's Mac. And he says, uh, well, you're kind of in a strange place, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah, I think so. And he says, uh, uh, well, why are you here? I said, well, my friend Netta was invited to the birthday party. I can't remember the name of the fellow whose party it was. She said, but, and, and, and I agreed to come with her and accompany her. He says, well, that's good. He says, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a minister. And, you know, his jaw dropped. And he says, well, you're in the wrong place. I said, it looks to me like I'm in the right place. And he thought about it and he said, well, you may be. And then he met with me a couple of times after that and he, he, he came to Christ. So God sends you into some crazy places. You, don't, you think you're totally not supposed to be there. And I, everybody in the church would tell you, oh, you shouldn't be there. There's a lot of reasons you shouldn't be there. But I knew I was supposed to go with Netta. And I didn't know any of this stuff we know now. But I knew the Holy Spirit said go. When He says go, we go. We go whether we live or whether we die. We go. So that's, that's the life that we've been called to. We've been, we've been hoisted up onto this lifeboat and brought into this wonderful, wonderful banquet of, of, of a dinner where we, we sit down with the saints of God and have this great party, this feast in Christ as we get fixed in Him. And then He says, okay, no more party for a while. You're going to go out and you're going to tread the wine press that's going to bring forth my wine. And you're going to be a part of it. You're going to stomp some grapes. And you're going to get grape juice on your feet. And you're going to live in my body. My body which was broken for you, you're going to experience yourself. Your body will be part of my body. Your body will experience my brokenness in the world. I'm the bread of life. And people come and eat of me. And now because I live in you, you are now the bread of life. You're the bread which other people eat. Be who you are. Just be yourself. That's the way to be who I am in you. You don't try to fake it. I mean, just the, just the idea of act like Jesus. Listen to that. Act like Jesus. <laughs> It's like pretend like. We can't act like Jesus. Only Jesus can act like Jesus. However, we can live in Him and He can live in us. And when we live, it's Him living. 
He and I are one person, so when I walk around, I'm walking around being Him. And He's walking around being me. And He expresses Himself uniquely in my unique world. And He expresses Himself uniquely in Judy Dunn's unique world. And it's all perfect. It's all perfect. Get the human idea of perfection out of your head. It doesn't flow. It doesn't matter. It doesn't compute, as the lost in space robot used to say. The word perfect, as we humans think of it, throw it out. We, live, we are living in God's perfection. He is perf- we are perfect in His perfection. Not as a human judges things, but as God judges. He called Abraham perfect. He called Job perfect. Paul said he presents us perfect. We are perfected forever, it says in Hebrews. And if that one doesn't nail it for you, then you just don't believe. We are perfected forever, he says. So the perfection of God comes to live in in human beings. The only thing that was wrong with human beings was that the wrong sauce was inside us. The wrong deity, the wrong coffee, the wrong liquid, the God of wrath, the God of me for me, had stolen us in the beginning of our history for God's purpose. Because God never lets anything, means anything to happen except that it's going to bring forth His purpose. He let Him be like a grain of sand in an oyster that brings forth a pearl. It takes that conflict. It takes contrariety. It takes, it takes the push and the pull. It takes the positive and the negative that the sons of God might be conscious of who they are and might live according to that consciousness. Live according to the Spirit of who lives in them that which they learn. How do they learn that? How do we learn to live as Christ? It says, the Son learned obedience through the things that He suffered. In other words, God taught him his... Even the Son of God had to learn He was perfect in Christ, in Himself, in God. Even the Son of God had to learn that, it says, through the things that He suffered. Because He grew up as a human man. He, he, he experienced all that we experienced. All the thoughts, all the negatives, all the positives, all the joys, all the sorrows. All of those things were roil, roiling around in His being just like they are in ours. So that's the, that's the message that I hope, if we don't go away from anything with any other truth from this conference, I would that we would go away knowing that God has us perfectly in His hands and we are the potter, or we are the clay, He is the potter, and He fashions us according to His working. And He knows what He is doing. He knows what He's doing. If we, if we have cancer, He knows what He's doing. If we have a bad shoulder, He knows what He's doing. If we have a dry time, He knows what He's doing. If we're running out of money and we don't know if we're going to eat tomorrow, He knows what He's doing. He's got you in His hand. And He is using you to bring forth His will. He is using you as He used His Son, who He was not afraid to bruise, but was pleased to do it. Because He was willing to use members of His own family to bless the whole creation to bring forth life. 
So we are now we now stand in the place of that son. It's it, it, if you think about it from the standpoint of oh God, I've got to do something, then that is overwhelming on us. It's overwhelming to think that we have this responsibility to live Christ in the world if you think that you've got to do it, that you've got to figure out, that you've got to figure out what's my commission, what's my gift, what's my calling. It will find you. Just like my wife found me. There she is. I didn't, I wasn't looking for her, believe me. I thought women were too much trouble. And I haven't changed a whole lot since. It will find you. You don't have to go looking for it. When you're the when you're the fastest gun in town, they come looking for you. And listen, you're the fastest gun in town. Because the king of the universe who can shoot straighter, shoot faster, shoot more bullets more accurately than anybody else lives in you. So they're all gunning for you. And that's okay. Because they're all going to end up in Boot Hill and rise again and live with you in the kingdom of heaven. Because that's what you're all about. You're about shooting bullets of life that, that they kill... But what they kill is the false and the untrue and the lie and what they bring forth through the blood of Christ and through the resurrection. Is this booming? Sorry. I thought you were going like this. <laughs> oh, well, I rebuke you, mosquito. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You got it, folks. You got it. Live it. It's easy. It really is. You wake up and say, well, Lord, this is your day. You've got it. And get up and start walking. Thanks, Carol.